Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you have a taste for life, well, then this is your show. I have mouth-watering radio commentary on everything delicious with the best culinary thinkers, authors, and experts highlighted each show. Plus, I cover health and wellness, travel, tech, wine, mixology, and more. And I hope this weekend finds you healthy and well. This is your destination for delicious conversation, and there are no reservations needed. We'll talk on the best products and trends, cooking for kids, gluten-free, delectable dishes, shopping, preparation, presentation, and more, because it's my goal to feed your soul and increase your culinary knowledge. Now, if you happen to have missed a show, no worries. You can find my tasty podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And you can always find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'm also bringing you an arsenal of inspiring ideas for savory and sweet dishes updated daily at chefjamie.com. So if you're new to the show, you're late, but you should know this. Cooking to me is like learning different languages. Being a chef has taught me about people and cultures. It has given me the dramatic and very humbling position to cook for and love and care for people in many different settings. It teaches me to respect the planet, all of its ingredients, and I continue to thrive on discovery and take on challenges and find poetry in the moments. And the art is in the details. Living legends are too. Coming up, he's back. I have celebrated 20 years on the radio this year, and I will tell you this gentleman continues to grace the program, and I am ever delighted. Please stay tuned. Jacques Pepin is about to sit down and dish. But first, I like to kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts, a technique to make you the best cook you know. So can we talk caramelized onions for just a second? Caramelized onions are one of those magical ingredients that can transform the ordinary into the extraordinary. There are lots of tricks out there for caramelizing onions in a fraction of the time. They may sound like a good idea, but caramelizing onions until deeply golden brown and sweet takes time and attention. So here's the trick to caramelizing onions. There is no trick. At least, I haven't yet found a method other than the way I've mastered that promises significantly faster results and delivers a properly caramelized onion. And so, the idea of quick caramelized onions is an appealing one, but I can't recommend a single alternative to the real deal. Let me teach you the real deal, though. Because caramelized onions are more than just a delicious preparation. Caramelized onions take time, at least a half an hour, closer to an hour really. And there's no good way to avoid that. Caramelized onions are made by very slowly cooking onions so that they become meltingly soft and deeply browned throughout and wonderfully sweet. And 
There are two different browning reactions at play, little culinary science, in the process of caramelization. Sugars break down into hundreds of new molecules. And then there's the Maillard reaction, where protein and sugar transforms into new flavor and aroma molecules. And together, you can take raw, pungent onions and turn them into something so mild and sweet that they might as well be dessert. And by the way, I love dessert. (laughs) Now, chopped onion or diced onion, the foundation, right, to so many recipes. But as we all know, raw and even slightly sauteed onions can often be intense or overpowering. But when you slice onions and cook them low and slow in butter and oil, they become like sweet candy. They're like jam-like, right? And they can transform any dish from burgers to pizza to pasta to dips uh, and more. And so this deep, rich, nutty sweetness, how do you get it into your French onion soup, right? Because French onion soup without caramelized onions would just be broth. And who craves that? I mean, (laughs) not me. It is not necessarily the ingredients that make caramelized onions a success because, by the way, you can do it with sweet yellow onions, my onion of choice, or red onion, or even a brown onion for that matter. Really, the success of caramelized onions is time and patience. It's low and slow. That's what the caramelized onion game is all about. And like most of the simplest of recipes, which most of my recipes are five, six, seven ingredients or most... I like the simple go-to. We know that the fewer the ingredients, the more important it is to do it right because you can't cover up your mistakes. So to make the ultimate caramelized onions, you need good quality unsalted butter because I like to dictate the salt in my dishes. You need some good olive oil. You need a bevy of onions because they cook down to nothing. What you think you started with ends up as just enough for dip. You need good kosher salt and freshly ground pepper, and then a couple of thyme sprigs if you like. Some chefs might tell you a little vinegar will add to the bite, but I say no. Go simple, right? And what do you do? You slice the onions into half moons. I cut them reasonably thin because I like them to cook in a reasonable amount of time, and I try to make them all, of course, uniform. Now, I use a heavy bottom skillet. A cast iron skillet works great because I like the deep color uh, that the onions get from the pan. And you're going to stir periodically to get this beautiful goodness, right? You combine unsalted butter with some olive oil. You melt it together in the pot or the pan so that you get a higher smoking point. So the onions brown slowly before they ever burn. And... You season with the kosher salt because that's my go-to. It draws out the moisture in the onions, by the way, as they cook. So I add salt at the beginning of the process. And then I season with freshly ground pepper as well. And I cook low and slow. I often add a sprig or two of fresh thyme because I love that herbaceous flavor. And it's a really nice partner for the caramelization. And you want the onions to cook slowly so that they release their sugars and they caramelize. And you stir every once in a while so they become bronzed and jammy. Now, the process takes time. Consider 45 minutes to an hour, medium-low heat. But you don't have to babysit it the entire time. You want to stir reasonably often. And because when you're stirring, you'll deepen the flavor of all of the onions around. 
And I will say, it is so worth the effort that if you master caramelized onions, you'll be amazed at the many uses that you will have for them. I keep them in the fridge almost all the time because I wouldn't dare make a frittata without caramelized shallots, actually. And caramelized shallots work just as well as caramelized onions, a shorter amount of cooking time, by the way, but equally delicious. Now, I have to tell you a quick story, and if we've met before or you've listened for a long time, you might have heard it, so please forgive uh, the repetition. But I have had the privilege of working with the great Emeril Lagasse for more than 20 years. I was emeralized, as they call it, in his restaurants in New Orleans um, in my 20s, and I learned from Emeril um, how to make a roux, R-O-U-X, right? The French... uh, fat flour base that thickens most wonderful things. And in making a roux uh, for gumbo, uh, he told me, chef, that we were going to make a two-beer roux. And I remember, and thank God I didn't open my mouth, I remember thinking, there's no beer in roux. Well, there isn't. He meant in the amount of time it takes to drink two beers, the roux will be dark enough to proceed with the recipe. Well, I have taken this genius lesson and I have applied it to caramelized onions. So I make a glass and a half of Chardonnay caramelized onions. Now, mind you, there is no Chardonnay in caramelized onions because it takes slow patience, some nice kitchen conversation, and about 45 minutes to an hour to drink a glass and a half of Chardonnay while you stir those lovely caramelized sweet onions. And you'll find the recipe, by the way, posted at chefjamie.com. So stay tuned. Grab a snack. Come on back. Almost 70 years as a chef, a cooking teacher, an educator, the world's much beloved and most famous Jacques Pepin is here. And I can't wait for him to share his passion with you once again. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with Jacques Pepin coming up next right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This next conversation is guaranteed to be delicious. I am over the moon and humbled and always flattered when this legendary gentleman graces this show. When I say we have the greatest culinary thinkers here, I seriously mean it because it is no doubt a testament to the fact that Jacques Pepin is joining us once again, and it is with great pleasure that I have the privilege of welcoming back one of the world's most famous and beloved 
cooking teachers and educators. In his more than six... Oh, boy. It goes on, chef. Hold on. (laughs) In his more than 60-plus years as a chef, Jacques Pepin has earned a reputation as a champion of simplicity. As the author of 31 cookbooks, the host of 12 acclaimed PBS cooking series, and the winner of 16 James Beard Awards and an Emmy... He has taught us to roast the perfect chicken. He taught me to make a proper omelet. I think we can all agree that this gentleman's contribution to the culinary world is a gift that keeps on giving. And at 86 years young, he shows no signs of slowing down. His new cookbook is a collection of impressive and efficient recipes, but written in a narrative. The book celebrates his lifelong love of chickens in stories and paintings and delicious dishes. And the stories strewn throughout will warm your soul. The new release is entitled Art of the Chicken and the great Jacques Pepin joins us live. I am so grateful to have you back, Chef. Bonjour. Oh, boy, bonjour. What am I going to say now? <laughs> you deserve an illustrious introduction, and I, I, I'm so grateful that you still want to share in, in prose your extraordinary love for food. Well, you know, uh, this is part of my life so much. Yes. I mean, uh, I cannot see myself uh, doing... Anything else? And I've been in the kitchen for over, well, 70 years, <laughs> over 70 years. Amazing. And uh, uh, I, uh, it brought me a lot of pleasure. And frankly, especially now in our time of polarization, there is much else that we can talk about except food and share food. And so this is a great gift that you give people, you know, by sharing food, by cooking for someone, whether you cook for your kid or your grandmother or mm. Your lover doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great deal of uh, of love in this. Of course, and it's always um, it's always been apparent to me how much love is in your food, and amazing that it has translated over the years. You're very progressive, chef. Yeah, we watch you on Instagram and Facebook teach us the basics of summer corn and celebrate the beauty of tomatoes. And after almost seventy years of cooking. It's really very extraordinary how how present your talent is in the culinary world continually. I know sitting down for dinner has always been important in your home. It's a lesson that you remind us of often. And the the humble chicken and its eggs and otherwise has been the center of not only your cooking, but your painting for almost your lifetime, yes? Yes, I mean, you you change, you know, uh, certainly... Your metabolism change as you get older. And uh, to me, uh, you know, now I'm in my 80s, and uh, I don't cook the same way that I did before. Certainly, as a young chef, often you tend to add, to add, and to add maybe two months to the plate. And at my age, I kind of uh, remove, remove, remove from the plate to be left with something more essential mm. and uh, without too much embellishment around, you know. So... Like now, I have beautiful tomato in my garden, yes. and that's what I had for lunch. Like, you know, lukewarm from the garden, mm. uh, ripe, and with a little bit of coarse salt on top, and a good olive oil. I mean, uh, I don't need more embellishment, you know. So, yes, it changed. It, it does change, but, you, but you've always elevated. And I think that is very much at the heart of this book. I love that you speak to the fact, 
And, and I want to speak about your paintings and your art, which I know um, has been uh, a great love of yours um, all, your, all of your life. But the chicken itself uh, is served, as you say, at Michelin restaurants and diners alike. And there's oh, yeah. such a correlation to me of the simplicity of it and the way that you cook, but with the exquisiteness of it as well. It's that great dichotomy that I think you, Jacques Pepin, represent. I will roast a chicken for, uh, for my wife and me, and I will just roast it still properly, and that will be called uh, home cooking. <laughs> and if my wife called me and I'm at the market, she said, oh, I have Marty who just came there. I tell them to stay for lunch. Then I may put some... Uh, I may put some mushroom around the chicken and do a salad and do another thing. And then that becomes bourgeois cooking, you know. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. uh, if we do a special dinner and we put a jacket and we put a tie and we have beautiful flowers on the table and a napkin and I start with maybe a souffle or a soup, I will have the same chicken. And I may deglaze with cognac and a bit of cream and finish with some truffle and it becomes haute cuisine. Right. So, you know, yes, there is a gradation that you do with the same dish by, uh, by fitting different occasions, you know. With, Quite, quite, ex quite extraordinary when you think about the elevation that way. Start at the beginning, if you would, Chef. Your, your mother uh, taught you to embrace the beauty of the egg, and then we all have very glorious memories of you making omelets with Julia Child, your great friend. Without any question. You know, my, my mother, uh, in my family in France, uh, many years ago, I moved here. But I could count 12 restaurants in France in the family through the year. And the 12 of those were run by women. Hmm. I was the first male to go into that business. So my, to my two aunts, my cousins, sister-in-law, a niece, my mother, of course, uh, it was all woman cooking. And uh, <clears throat> that part of France, where it's pretty well known for some of the, some formidable woman cooking, uh, I mean, three-star restaurants, like La Mer Brasier in Lyon, you know, which uh, in the 40s and so forth already had that three-star on the Michelin. And in fact, that's where Paul Bocuse, a great male French chef, that's where he did his apprenticeship. You know, so the, the cooking of Lyon is often associated with the women's cooking, too. Yes. And then moving on from your mother's training to your extraordinary culinary career, tell us about a chicken salad for Danny Kay, please. I met Danny Kay in New York when he was, he was playing on a, on, a, on a show on Broadway. And uh, he came with Sally Dar, who was with uh, Gourmet Magazine at the time. That he knew, and I, I had opened a restaurant called La Potagerie mm -hmm. on Fifth Avenue mm -hmm. uh, in New York. In fact, I had great, uh, you know, chicken soup there. Mm -hmm. Well, one time I was I was there with him, and we once we buy some. I remember at the market some fresh, beautiful chicken. He said, "I'm going to show you how to make my chicken salad." So I said, "Great!" So he take the chicken, he opened his drawer, took a handful of spoon and fork, and put it into the chicken. Like it's stuffing too. I said, "What are you doing?" I said, "No, no, you gotta do that, otherwise the chicken come to the surface." So we stuff the chicken with with this and put it into a pot, cover it with uh, with water. French chef, author, culinary educator, television personality, and artist.
the extraordinary Jacques Pepin is here. We'll take a quick break when we come back. More to dish on the art of the chicken. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. We're back with the exquisitely talented, legendary Jacques Pepin. His love of chicken, his drawings, his stories, his recipes, all a tribute to his love of cooking. The newest cookbook release with stories to boot entitled Art of the Chicken is out now and Jacques Pepin is here. There are so many wonderful stories. I never knew that you turned down an offer to work as JFK's White House chef. You turned the White House down. Yes. uh, You have to look at it in the context of the time. Yes. You know, uh, it it sounds like very... uh, maybe very high-minded because I went to Howard Johnson too, but it wasn't. <laughs> I remember that I had been chef in France for the president between 56 and 58. Are we? And there are actually three presidents. And I'm saying that to say that uh, I had never once in France, well, television barely existed, but uh, being on television or on the radio or a newspaper article or people writing about that did not exist. You know, I served people like Ivanovich, Nehru, Tito, Macmillan. Those were the head of state at the time. Mm-hmm. And I served those people. Never once would you ever be called for kudo in the dining room or stuff like that. That did not exist, period. The cook was really at the bottom of the social scale. Mm-hmm. And if anyone came to the kitchen, it was because something went wrong and you were going to get yelled at. <laughs> so, you know, when uh, I was uh, offered a job for Kennedy at the White House, I had arrived in New York only six, eight months before that. So I was new, but I started at Columbia University. I started, I had France. So I did want to uproot myself again. And to tell you, frankly, I did not realize the potential and so forth, because I think still at that time, the cook was very low on the social scale. Sure. In fact, the, 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 the person who had been the chef there in charge with a, a, a black lady from the South, no one would have known her name, no more than they knew my name or whatever. <laughs> it started after when, uh, uh, you know, my friend, a friend of mine uh, took the job there, and Mrs. Kennedy started taking picture of uh, uh, him, and he sent me a picture of her, too. And it was, you know, the 60s, woman liberation, organic gardening, health food store. So uh, it was a certain awakening. But prior to that, uh, certainly the cook was really low on the social scale, and uh, I don't know what happened. We are genius now. So. <laughs> yes, you are. I, as they say, you're okay. a rock star, chef. Oh, yeah. Yes, sure. you are a yeah. rock star. Uh, tell us, and, and go back, how many years ago did you begin painting? Because your paintings have become as popular as your food, and the fact that the the cookbooks over the past many years of yours are strewn with your gorgeous illustrations, uh, such a testament to the artistry that you represent. Yes, what happened, I came here in, uh, in the U.S. in 1959. Hmm. Three weeks after I was here, I was enrolled at Columbia University, uh, English for foreign students, 
and I went on to study at Columbia from 1959 until 1973. I mean, you know, having a job, uh, of course, all the time. And during that time, I took a couple of classes in, uh, you know, in like in 1960, 61 or two, in sculpture, I believe, and in drawing. Mm-hmm. And uh, coincidentally, at that point, we were a bunch of fun in New York, and we rented a house for the summer in Woodstock, which is kind of a, a Nazi's community. Yes. So we all started to repair furniture, to redo <laughs> things, to stop panning and so forth. So yes, it starts from the early 60s. I mean, that's panning from 1961, two, three, and so forth. Wow. So uh, <laughs> I've always did it. Maybe not as much as I'm doing now, but it has always been part of my life. Yes. Uh, in a certain extent, it uh, satisfies me, you know, just as cooking does you know, well, in different ways. It, it so beautifully represents you, and I love that we can actually put Jacques Pepin art into our homes today. Limited editions and original artwork are available um, uh, and of course, you use that work to give back. If you would, please talk about your foundation and yes. how you are so committed to culinary education. Yes, but before that, I wanted to tell you, uh, panning, you know, I look at panning that I did 40, 50 years ago. Hmm. I could never do that. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's good, bad. It's just that I don't feel this way. It'd be totally different. I would absolutely love to be able to taste the food that I did 50, 60, 70 years ago when I was a kid, <laughs> I probably would be very surprised. But food is very evanescent, you know. It comes, you, you taste it, you eat it, and it disappears. And what's left is just the food memory. So it's different than uh, than panning. But uh, you were, but in a sense, you know, when I cook at the stove, in a restaurant, you don't follow a recipe. And... Uh, if you do the same dish 8, 10, 12, 15 times the same evening, you know, a chicken saute with whatever, uh, if someone were to take exact note of what you're doing, you would see that 15 times you've done it, 15 times it's slightly different, mm-hmm. but 15 times it tastes the same at the end. And that's the whole idea. But, you know, you do, it goes a bit too fast, you put a tablespoon of water, you adjust, you taste, you adjust, you taste. The food kind of takes an old hold of yourself. And likewise, in a panning, for me, I don't try to validate what I do now much more anymore in planning. I start with the planning, and often I don't know exactly where I'm going. Hmm. But at some point, the planning will take hold of myself, and I react to it just with food. I put a shape there, I put a color or something, because it feels good, it feels right, too, and so forth. So there are similarities for me in the process of planning and the process of cooking. But But the painting lives on. Different exactly. than the yeah. dish disappears, right? Yes. Yes, and, absolutely. Yes. And that's why I speak to your legacy, your foundation, and uh, the support of culinary education, I think, is uh, how you live on continually in, in all of our, and you will forever, in, in our hearts and on the pages oh. and in your art. Uh, that's right. how you give back. Yeah, I have to say that, you know, I have my friend Tom Hopkins here who created the outside for me. Yes. Uh, and on the other hand, I have my son-in-law, Rolly Wizen, who created uh, the foundation with my daughter, Claudine. He's a, a full-time uh, teacher at Johnson & Well. He had a PhD a few years ago, but he's a professional chef for many, many years. And he decided to, uh, you know, I've done 13 series of 26 shows 
I've done hundreds and hundreds of shows and many, many shows of technique and so forth. Mm. So he tried to put them together to teach. He said, you've been teaching all your life. You know, I've been teaching at BU, Boston University, for over 40 years and at the French Culinary Institute in New York for over 30 years. So at some point he asked me, who would you like to teach you thing now? And I thought, I thought maybe, you know, the people who have been a bit disenfranchised with life, like people who come out of jail, uh, former drug addict, homeless people, uh, you know, even veterans. I mean, things like this, that because, you know, working a few weeks in a kitchen, learning those basic principles that I have on tape, well, you know, you can start working within four or five weeks and start doing uh, the salad and doing simple stuff and then move on, move on. So you can redo a life. So we decided to do that with community kitchen. Uh, and there is hundreds of community kitchens all over the country yes. so to give them tape and the video mm. and work with them. And it's been very gratifying. Mm. I mean, that was in New York Friday, cooking in a place called the Hot Bread Kitchen. And it was, I didn't even realize, the, the, the students there uh, I work with were all women, but they are women from, uh, from other countries. So they're mm. all from, uh, a, a great deal of them from South America and other parts of the world. Uh, and then it was, you know, very rewarding in many ways, you know, to be able to show and explain a little thing that you know may change someone's life to a certain extent, you know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I've been very gratified by this. Yeah, and, and kudos to you. You've given back so much. Uh, we must honor Gloria, um, your yes. glorious wife. May she rest in peace. I know she is with you forever, as you say. And in the book, you share her love of your arroz con pollo. And if you would share just that recipe, Chef, please give us some insight and the story behind her uh, Gloria's love for arroz con pollo. Well, my wife Gloria was born in New York City, uh, but her mother was Puerto Rican and her father was Cuban. Mm -hmm. So uh, that came from uh, the love of her... uh, of her ancestor, I guess, and the arroz con pollo. She loved rice and she loved chicken. So I think we started doing it a bit in the style of her mother and then change. And uh, so she had her version of doing it. I did it too. So we had, uh, she was a very good cook too. I mean, the, you know, it's interesting in family because if you were to ask my, my daughter, for example, just like my granddaughter, there is certainly a dish that she likes the best that I do, but there are other dishes that she likes the way my wife did that much better, and, uh, and so forth. Chef, we need to take a quick break. Please, please stay with us. When we come back, there is much more of Jacques Papin and Art of the Chicken in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Welcome back. It's delicious. It's divine. It's food and wine and Jacques Pepin with us live. The gentleman that leads a charmed life as truly one of the greatest chefs of all time. He's quite charming too, isn't he? His enthusiasm for new pursuits continues. His new book, A Master Chef's Paintings, Stories, and Recipes of the Humble Bird entitled Art of the Chicken, 
Chef Jacques Papin is with us gracing this show once again. Um, tell Please, us... Connecticut. Connecticut. Yes. Connecticut. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, a little Boston. Sure. Yes. Um, right. Share with us, please, how Shori is and that she's still cooking with you. She still have a, has a love of desserts, your granddaughter? She has a love of desserts. doesn't cook much anymore with me because now she's very interested in the... Well, her schooling now, she's starting at Boston University next, uh, in a couple of weeks. Yes, congratulations. So, so it's a, we have a kind of a family history there because I've been teaching at BU uh, for over 40 years, including my daughter went to school at BU, uh, and my son-in-law, uh, who teaches at Johnson, teaches also occasionally at BU. So, you know, me and my daughter and my son-in-law, so now she's going to be part of it. And I'm so happy because I think that to be in Boston, it's a fantastic place for for a young person. I mean, there's like 300, 350,000 students out of like 20 different universities to spend four or five years there. It's, like, it's extraordinary. Yes, opinion. So yes. Mazel tov. I'm so thrilled that you're happy. Um, I think you would be happy to know if you don't already and to be expected um, that Art of the Chicken, your 31st cookbook, uh, is the number one new release in all of Amazon. And it hasn't even released yet. Yes, congratulations. Bon chance. Yes, it is. The number one new release um, and deservedly so. We celebrate you, Jacques, your life in food, your exquisite art, the fact that you have pleased our palates and taught us for almost 70 years now. Yes? Yeah, yeah, yes. And, and we thank you. Um, congratulations thank you. on another wonderful cookbook. It is such a beautiful read. I felt close to you. I smiled through it. Uh, I, I loved the stories. And um, right at the beginning of the book, my favorite piece of art, your, your painting of Angry Chicken, um, oh, yes, <laughs> is my most favorite. And I can't thank you enough. You've graced this show over 20 years that I have had the privilege on the radio. Um, and there is no more more legendary than you. And I, I truly, truly thank you. Merci, merci, merci. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Merci. Thank you. I hope that you will okay. come back again with the next book. We wish you well. And as you say, happy cooking. Anytime. Happy cooking ah, oui. to you. Merci. Merci, Jacques Pepin. From the legendary chef and celebrated artist Jacques Pepin, the world's most famous cooking teacher, his just-released 31st cookbook, and I stand corrected, entitled Art of the Chicken, a master chef's paintings, stories, and recipes of the humble bird from one of the world's greatest and most legendary chefs and teachers. The book is available now on Amazon and will be in fine bookstores everywhere, of course, celebrating the humble chicken, the paintings, the works of art over 70 plus years of extraordinary artistry from Chef Jacques Pepin. Okay, it's time for a dose of food news this week. This is news you can use, or as I like to say, really good dinner party conversation. This is for all you Halloween haunt lovers and Disney devotees. Why? Because I've never met a Dole Whip 
I didn't like. You cannot go to anything named Disney as far as I'm concerned and not get a Dole Whip, right? It's a tried and true tradition. It's the perfect year-round treat. I mean, creamy pineapple soft serve, it just doesn't get any better than that. Well, they are gracing you with a new Dole Whip this spooky season. You can add to the ghostly atmosphere of Halloween by trying the Halloween Dole Whip, their latest drop at Disney, and I can't wait to get my hands on some. There is lots to love about this creepy treat, I understand. They're calling it a jack-o'-lantern float, really. That seems rather fitting. It's made of a, a citrus swirl. It's Dole Whip orange soft serve with vanilla soft serve. And it is floated in orange Fanta and brown sugar whipped cream topped with a mountain of graham cracker crumbs. The orange spirals down the cup. The vanilla adds an accent. The whipped cream makes it tall and fluffy. Graham cracker crumbs give you texture. I mean, come on. Could the spooky treat get any sweeter? Well, the jack-o'-lantern float is available uh, in Adventureland in the Magic Kingdom. And there is a catch, though. It is only available during Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. So get your hands on some tickets because that's a Dole Whip you do not want to miss. And that is some food news you can use. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of truly stimulating conversation. Well, at least I hope you thought so. I hope that I made you thirsty and hungry and ready to cook. And I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration. So if you know me, you know I love my air fryer, right? And this is the perfect afternoon snack or an Italian dinner appetizer, and you can stuff them with just about anything. But have you made air fryer mini calzones yet? Well, homemade pizza dough or even store-bought, and then some good marinara sauce and maybe pepperoni or crumbled sweet Italian sausage and some good quality shredded mozzarella cheese will make you a mini calzone from your air fryer in 11 minutes. And they are so good. I will post the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where I hope you become a friend and a fan at Chef Jamie Gwen. Tell a friend. I'll also be here in your radio next weekend. So please tune in and let me satiate your appetite and feed your soul. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.